As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve, for 85 years, few people questioned the story of the little pioneer girl, Mary Campbell, who was kidnapped by an Indian chief who was mourning a dead grandchild. Do you know the story of Mary Campbell? I do not know the story, but I've heard of Mary Campbell. Mary Campbell. All right. Well, you know, as many books over the years have recounted, legend has it that she spent five years of captivity living in a rocky alcove in what we now call Gorge Metro Park in Caga Falls, and that she was the first white child to step foot in the Western Reserve. And for 85 years, a bronze plaque at the cave confirmed all this. And who would question something committed to bronze, right? Exactly, right. Yeah. Is that bronze, is that still there? I'm not sure if it's been removed yet, but at this very moment, Summit County Metro Parks, which owns Mary Campbell Cave, is currently in the process of renaming the feature Old Maid's Kitchen. Why is that? Well, that's the subject of tonight's story and how something we long accepted as fact is really a mystery, So let me tell you the story of little Mary Campbell as we try to separate fact from fiction. The year is 1758, give or take a year. The United States isn't even a country yet. European colonies are expanding and they're pushing Native Americans farther and farther west, the Wild West at this time being Ohio and Pennsylvania. And as the Indians migrate, they are bumping up against other tribes and settlers who are also moving west. This is also a time when tribes are dwindling in size. Over the last century or so, war and disease has really taken its toll. And one way a tribe can survive is to kidnap white children and adopt them into their families. So with that in mind, picture you are in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, 
and there's a pioneer settlement with log cabins sprouting up among the fields and woods. And in one of these cabins is Mary Campbell, a red-haired, freckle-faced girl. Accounts differ on her age. They range between 7 and 12, but it is said she was babysitting on the night in question, so I'm going to lead toward the higher end of that range. Mary is in the cabin of the Stewart family. The parents are away when the home is raided by a band of Delaware Indians. Mary and several Stewart children are kidnapped. Now, stories differ a bit. Keep in mind that this story wasn't committed to pen and paper till decades later, so the details are going to differ. In one retelling, Akron's General Lucius Bierce, who wrote a lot about the history of Akron, said one of the Stewart boys was killed in the raid, but modern historians could never find evidence of that. Another storyteller said the Indians found the children, locked them in a hut on the property, and then returned to the edge of the woods to wait for the parents to return. And when a young neighbor lady came down the trail later, she heard the cries of the children and went to them, and that's when the Indians revealed themselves and took them all away. The prisoners, they were walked many miles to a camp in Armstrong County, Pennsylvania, and that's where the group was separated. It said Chief Netawatwees, he was the leader of a group of about 200 Delaware Indians known as the Turtle Clan. He took possession of Mary Campbell, reportedly to replace a granddaughter of his who had died. Now, after this, the Delawares continued their migration westward, and they came to settle for a time somewhere along the Cuyahoga River in modern-day Summit County, Ohio. And there, as legend has it, Mary and other women and children of the tribe lived in a cave while their men worked on building a new village. The cave that history points to isn't a cave. It's really just a natural rock shelter beneath a huge rock overhang. It's about 120 feet wide, and it extends about 50 feet into the sandstone and shell opening that surrounds the bluff. And in 1759, this area was a thick wilderness featuring a raging Cuyahoga River that had not yet been dammed and was still dotted by a series of splendid little waterfalls. Historians believe Mary would have been treated well. The Delawares were a matriarchal society where children represented the future. And since the chief acknowledged Mary as a surrogate granddaughter, she surely would have been treated as well as anyone. Later, the story passed down by Mary's own family was that she adapted well to the Indian lifestyle, learning to fish and gather berries and nuts. But obviously, her family wanted her back. Sometime after Mary had been taken, the Pennsylvania Gazette had published a heart-wrenching plea from her father, appealing to all good people to help his red-haired and much-freckled little girl find her way home to her aging parents. Their plea would be answered soon after. Mary had been with the Indians some five or six years when, in 1764, a British Army officer named Colonel Henry Bouquet came to the rescue. This is like Dances with Wolves stuff. It is. Now, Bouquet, he's got an interesting history. A year earlier, Fort Pitt, that's Pittsburgh, was under siege by Indians who were angry that the British were not honoring their treaties. Bouquet was sent in to save the fort, and he did. But he also earned his place in infamy when he helped conceive a plan 
whereby blankets infected with smallpox were given to Native American emissaries as gifts. Uh, Yeah. Biological warfare. It is. It is. As a matter of fact, it's unknown how much of the epidemic that followed can be traced specifically to that effort. But there are estimates that over the next few years, more than half a million Indians died of smallpox. Oh, man. Anyway, Bouquet was made commander of Fort Pitt, and he was told to stick around there and continue terrorizing the Indians. And in the fall of 1764, he led a force of 1,500 militiamen and British soldiers into the Ohio country, all the way to the Tuscarawas River. Seeing this show of force, a delegation of Shawnees, Senecas, and Delawares came to Bouquet asking for peace. And that's when Boquet gave them an ultimatum. One account used this direct quote. I give you 12 days from this date to deliver into my hands all the prisoners in your possession without any exception. Englishmen, Frenchmen, women, children, whether adopted into your tribes, married, or living amongst you under any denomination and pretense whatsoever together with all Negroes, and you are to furnish the said prisoners with clothing, provisions, and horses to carry them to Fort Pitt. When you have fully complied with these conditions, you shall then know on what terms you may obtain the peace you sue for. So Bouquet then moved his army to present-day Coshocton and set up camp to wait. He chose this area because it was the heart of tribal lands in, in the Ohio country, and if the natives refused to cooperate, He was in a perfect position to strike. And so with the clock ticking, the Indians sent runners out in all directions to collect the white people from their villages. Some captives had been taken as far as Canada. Yeah, not everyone wanted to be rescued. For some of these captives, their Indian families were all they knew. There were even accounts of some now-grown whites who fought to escape the British so they could go back to their Indian villages. But in the end... More than 200 kidnappees were turned over to Boquette in Coshocton, including 81 men and 125 women and children. Now, reportedly, Mary's family was at Boquette's camp waiting for the arrival of the captives, and they're scanning faces as they arrived. There are different accounts of the family reunion that followed. One said mother and daughter didn't recognize each other until the mother sang a favorite lullaby that Mary recognized. Another account said Mary recognized her family only after seeing a doll that her family carried. Either way, reunited they were and returned to Pennsylvania. So much of that is documented. The mystery in this story, the part that isn't documented, where did Mary live when she was with the Indians? Now, according to Akron historian Michael Cohill, it's not likely to have been Mary Campbell Cave. In a 2008 story by Akron Beacon Journal writer Mark J. Price, Cohill laid out his argument on why that idea is pure fairy tale. One of the earliest accounts, that 1850s history piece by General Lucius Bierce, talked of how the Delaware Indians lived on the north side of the river with Mary Campbell. He did not mention a cave. Thirty years later, in 1881, historian William Henry Perrin painted an epic tale of the attack on Mary's cabin, writing of the 
dusky savages decked in the gaudy ornaments of border war who invoked the favor of their god while descending like death upon the defenseless settlements, chanting what he transcribed as, I will kill the white man. So he had a lot of detail about this, embellished or not. But his account never mentioned Mary went to live in a cave. The cave seemed to appear for the first time in 1911. That was more than 150 years after the event. When Akron historian P.P. Cherry added new details to his account, saying Mary went to live in Old Maid's Kitchen, where squaws and papooses were domiciled. Cohill doubted that. The cave would have been a poor shelter in the winter, and it was hard to reach. And the Delaware Indians lived in houses, not caves. An Indian trader who came to Ohio in that period gave a detailed description of his visit to the Delaware Indians. They had log homes on either side of a street. He ate dinner with them at a table using utensils, and they all slept in beds. There is also evidence that Chief Netawatwis and his tribe lived in a permanent settle in what we now call Merriman Valley. Oh, okay. Yeah, a few miles from Gorch Metro Park, same general area. Moravians at the time called the village Cuyahoga Town, and its residents included Indians, whites, and runaway slaves. Another Pennsylvania resident, John McLaughlin, wrote about his experience as a captive of the Delawares and said he lived there and enjoyed it. At some point, possibly while Mary was still in custody, the Delawares abandoned their Merriman Valley village and moved south near the Muskingum and Tuscaroras rivers. Now, in English, Chief Netawatwis, his name meant newcomer, and the place where they relocated would come to be called Newcomerstown. That's cool. Yeah. In Mary Campbell's family, the lore passed down is that she lived in this village near Muskingum for most of her captivity. Now, Mary was about 17 years old when she was reunited with her family in 1764. Six years later, she married a man named Joseph Wilford, and they had five sons and two daughters. And she reportedly told her children about her experience, how she learned how to treat snake bites with natural remedies, and how they would hoe the ground for a corn crop using the shoulder blade of a deer. Mary Campbell died in 1801, and she was buried in Greene County, Pennsylvania. Some of her descendants actually came back and settled in Northeast Ohio. Her grandson, Joseph Wilford, he even served as a state senator from Wayne County in the mid-19th century. Yeah. So, back to the cave. When P.P. Cherry added the Gorge Park Cave to his account of Mary Campbell in that 1911 history book, it might have gone largely unremarked on. The fact that it gave birth to a legend we owe to the Cuyahoga Falls chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. The ladies read that little blurb and decided they wanted to make a very big deal out of it. Oh, they tried to confirm it first. They sent letters to the Smithsonian Institute, the Ohio Historical Society, Harvard University, even history departments at several local colleges. But there was no official record of Mary Campbell living in that cave. But what the heck? The worst way to uh, ruin a good story is to check it out, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1935, they went ahead and hosted a grand affair with a band, politicians giving speeches, and a historical reading of P.P. Cherry's work. And with the blessing of the Metro Park, they placed a bronze plaque at the site of the cave. 
before 1935, people called the feature Old Maid's Kitchen. Lore holds that an early settler from Pennsylvania thought the cave reminded him of one back home by that name, so he started calling it Old Maid's Kitchen, and the name stuck. But now it would become Mary Campbell Cave, in recognition of Summit County's first white child and her brief residence living beneath this rocky niche. The story of Mary Campbell started being taught in local schools and in both nonfiction and historical fiction works. She was a pop culture icon. In 1959, I found a Sheraton hotel on Main Street opened a new restaurant called Mary Man Tavern. Mary Man, he was another legend, reportedly a woodsman who was on hand to greet the first white arrivals to this territory, and he was known for his booming laugh. And the mural depicted Mary Man with Mary Campbell. Oh, okay. Yeah. And in 1988, they invited Mary Campbell's kinfolk to come visit the cave. About 50 of them came. The oldest of them was a full seven generations removed from Mary Campbell herself. But 85 years later, history is in the process of being set straight. In recent years, Summit Metro Parks is trying to undo what generations of Summit County children were taught as fact, replacing the name Mary Campbell Cave with Old Maid's Kitchen on trail maps, signage, and on their website. Now listen, if you find yourself in Summit County with a leisure day, I highly recommend a trip to the Gorge Metro Park. Isn't it one of the most beautiful trails around. It really is. It, it, it's very, very interesting. Find the Western Trail from the Gorge parking lot off Front Street in Cuyahoga Falls. Now, it can be a little challenging. There's some steep climbs, but you know if you're up to it, it is worth it, regardless of whether Mary Campbell ever made this trip herself. It, like It's a safe, but it's one of our more dangerous ones. You've got to be careful, yeah. especially if it's wet. Well, just stay on the trail. Many people have died. Yeah. Many hikers have died on that spot over the decades. Right. Just stay on the trail. Anyway, before we part, there is one other mystery at Gorge Metro Park worth mentioning. It was another cave that was noted by historians before it apparently was swallowed up without a trace. It is appropriately called Lost Cave. Now, General Lucius Bierce wrote about it once, calling it remarkable and saying he discovered it in 1826 on the Cuyahoga River's north bank. He said, and here's a quote, it is on the very brink of the chasm cut by the river and the small opening just large enough to admit a person's body was on a level with the ground. A few leaves or a rotten log will easily conceal it. Now, companions lowered Bierce into the cave. He said it was 10 feet high and divided into two large rooms. He wrote of hearing the sound of an underground river in the cave, but said it was so dark and it was really just too dangerous to explore further. Bierce said he tried to return another year, but a flood had covered the entrance and he couldn't find it. He's like Indiana Jones, man. He was, he was. Well, decades after Bierce's account, area resident John Botsam read the references to the cavern, and decided it was probably a few hundred feet east of Old Maid's Kitchen. And in 1929, another Cuyahoga Falls resident named Alfred Rothig mentioned that he had been in the cave as a boy, according to a reference I found on a website. Others wonder if the Gorge Dam, which was constructed in 1910 and transformed that part of the Cuyahoga River into a deep lake, permanently covered the entrance to the Lost Cave. 
The interesting thing is state officials and the city of Cuyahoga Falls have been discussing for years how to remove that dam in the future so that they can return the Cuyahoga River to its natural state, or at least certainly closer to the way, for instance, Mary Campbell and those early Indians would have remembered it. So one can only wonder if doing that might reveal the lost cave once again. Right, and just to make it clear, there's no treasure in this cave, so please, uh, Discovery Channel, we don't need another Oak Island. They're <laughs> no. never going to find anything in there. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know that, do we? General Beer said it was too dark. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. And may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.